Uh, this session is entitled Orphans and Vulnerable Children, and I'm Dr. Susie Snyder, and let's just open with a word of prayer. Lord God, I just come before you and I acknowledge that you are the creator of the universe and the creator of this day and this um, conference and this session. And Father, I thank you that you're right here with us and with me. And I just call upon you to help us all to open up our ears and open our eyes and open up our hearts to whatever the lessons are that you want to teach us. And um, Father, I just I just thank you that you um, you helped me find my keys today, and you've helped this computer to connect to the the thing on the wall. And um, so I just count on you that your message will come through, um, that what people need to hear from you will will be what they hear. And um, just use me, an ordinary person and a very broken person, for your purposes and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, um, before I start speaking, I'm going to let God uh, say a few things. And um, when I was was given this topic, and and one of my first thoughts was, okay, this is a medical missions conference. Orphans? Really? Um, So... Yeah, I, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek um, because a lot of my work has had to do with orphans. And, yes, God definitely has a lot to say about orphans. Um, James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And I want to read Psalm 82. Verse 3 and 4. Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. This, uh, this is Psalm 82, verse 3 and 4. God definitely has a lot to say about orphans and those who are vulnerable. His heart just absolutely breaks for those who are fatherless. Um, and I can just about guarantee that if you go into missions in any capacity, you're going to be faced with orphans and vulnerable children. So let's move forward. Uh, my objectives for this session are to look at both acute and chronic health issues of OVCs and um, realizing that orphan and vulnerable children, their problems are multifactorial. And I'm sorry, I'm dancing up here because I'm caught. There we go. Um, their, their problems have a lot of facets. It's not just medical issues, but also social, spiritual, emotional, and economic. And so the solutions to taking care of them have to be holistic. And really the church is the the cornerstone to effective solutions, and we're going to be discussing some of those. Um, In this session, I'm going to use case studies, um, but I also want to have an interactive format. And I've never been in this room before where everybody was so spread out. So it's going to be a bit of a challenge, but I do want some discussion going on. And uh, there are going to be times when I'll flip some questions up, and I really want you, to, you know, in your tables there to kind of think about it, talk about it, and then we'll discuss some of the solutions. I don't, I don't claim to be an expert on orphans and vulnerable children, and I'm sure some of you probably have even more experience than I do, and uh, we can all learn from each other. Just as a means of introduction, again, I'm Dr. Susie Snyder, and um, my family, these are my two girls, um, they're, gosh, they're 19 and 22 now, but... Uh, <laughs> 
This is the cute stage, yeah. Um, we moved to Kenya, Africa in uh, 1992. Uh, I was six months out of residency. Uh, my youngest wasn't even born yet. Uh, we moved to Kenya to work among the Maasai tribes people. Uh, the Maasai are a very traditional uh, tribal group in southwestern Kenya. We lived in the bush among that community for seven years and then transitioned to the capital city so our girls could go to school and continued working with them for another seven years. So I have 14 years of experience on the mission field as a medical missionary, and uh, it's from that experience that I'm going to be drawing the points for today's talk. I was on a team of primarily uh, church planters and evangelists. I was the only doctor on our team, so our family focused on the medical uh, ministries, which meant overseeing Bush dispensaries, uh, we now have a system of eight clinics in remote village locations. They work together as a system. Uh, you can come to my talk tomorrow on sustainability and missions to find out how on earth that works. Um, but that's just a, an ex, uh, explanation of where I've been. Um, somewhere in the second or third term of working in Africa, I was invited to go to other places. Uh, with the experience that I had, had in, that, uh, in African fields, um, I could then serve in other places. I've worked in Afghanistan on numerous occasions, um, also in Central America. Um, I've been to Thailand, China, the variety of different places. And what I've found is that the issues that orphans and vulnerable children are facing are really very similar worldwide. So I think even though my, most of my experience is in Africa, it pertains to just about any mission field. In dealing with some definitions, when we, when we throw out that term OVC, uh, it's kind of a catchphrase, but it's good to understand what it means. Uh, OVC is an acronym for Orphans and Vulnerable Children. Orphans, we're familiar with that term. It's basically a child who has lost both parents, um, uh, one who is fatherless, motherless, and then the vulnerable child is a child who has lost one parent. So it could be where the father has died and the mother remains, or vice versa. The mother has died and the, child rem and the father remains. The vulnerable child still has one parent. However, what I have found in my experience is that the child with one parent may be no better off than the child who has no parents. Very often in the cultures where I have worked, the, the parent that is remaining may not have access to the family wealth. In the Maasai culture, when the father dies, all of his cows and sheep and goats go back to his parents or brothers. And sometimes that family will accept the wife and the children. Um, sometimes they won't. And so she may not have access to those resources. In the cities, when one parent dies, the other one may not have the economic resources. Very often I've seen where the remaining parent has used all of their economic resources trying to get medical care for the one who is dying. And then they're left destitute. Uh, very often, too, they don't have any uh, skills as the parent remaining and therefore may not have the resources to care for those children. So we see that the children with only one parent may be just as uh, disadvantaged as the orphan. In looking at some statistics, um, it's just enormous problem. Um, looking at the UNICEF, uh, the UN um, component dealing with children in their uh, report this year, there are 153 million orphans worldwide, uh, 5,700 new orphans daily. In Africa, there are 2 million new orphans per year. Every 15 seconds, another child is orphaned due to AIDS. 
big numbers, sometimes it's hard to kind of put a handle on that. And for me, it's very helpful to realize that behind every statistic is a person. And so I'd like to share a few of uh, those people with you today. This is Daniel. And just looking at him, you can tell he's got some medical problems. He's got a horrible rash in Patigo. Um, and this is pretty widespread. Daniel's story is that he was orphaned, and uh, when both of his parents died, he went to live with his, uh, with his father's brother, so he went to live with his uncle and aunt. They call him son, um, but he doesn't go to school like the rest of their children. He's expected to stay home and care and go out each day with the sheep. This is Sarai. Uh, her mother died in childbirth, and her father was crippled when he stepped on a landmine. They live in a community of IDPs, um, internally displaced persons. The family fled uh, during the war, and um, when the Taliban fell, they came back to the capital city. They were not able to go back to their homeland because there was nothing left. Um, their farms had been decimated, homes were built, burned, so they were squatters. And the government took 600 of these families and gave them a new home and plopped them here. Not a very inviting place. There's no trees, no grass, nothing. No running water, no electricity, no businesses, no roads. But this is their new home. Well, the UN has come in and uh, is starting to build homes, as you can see. But trying to be, you know, have some um, developmental, uh, you know, good development um, they're not just giving handouts. The deal is that each person, each family who is to get a home, needs to build the wall up a certain height, and then the work crews will come, the outside work crews come in and finish the walls and put on the roof. And that's that's great in terms of somebody, you know, people have to put in something to get the new home, and uh, it helps build ownership. Well, the problem is, Sarai's father is crippled. He can't build his part of the wall. And so they are left living in a tent uh, while others get their homes. And this is what they have to live in through the winter and through the snow and the cold. And through that, Sarai has gotten uh, pneumonia. She came in with a cough, fever, and a high respiratory rate. Mary is a child who was brought in after three weeks of bloody diarrhea. Just looking at her, you can see she's not doing well. She's suffering from malnutrition as well as anemia. Um, Mary's parents are both deceased, and she is cared for by her sister Esther. This is where they live, and their water source there is in the middle of the street. She also has um, her sister Esther basically does all the housework to care for them. They also have a brother, Isaac, um, but he does not go to school and he spends most of his time uh, just working through the garbage pit trying to pick up um, food for the day. Esther uh, does not go to school either, and she's doing the best she can, uh, taking care of Isaac and Mary. Uh, she basically has turned to prostitution, uh, sleeping with men in order to gain money and to buy food. This is their water source. And uh, they share this water source with more than just the neighbors. Uh, and you can imagine, there's a lot of parasites. 
a lot of bacteria in that water. It's not clean, and it's from that that Mary has acquired the diarrheal disease that is causing her to be ill. This is in Tito. Um, and Tito's mother died at childbirth, and her father has given in Tito to the grandmother. The grandmother is doing the best she can. She is wet nursing the baby uh, and then supplementing, feeding the child with tea and porridge, which is maize meal board, boiled in water. But obviously, not too successfully. Uh, and Tito has severe protein energy malnutrition, um, and she's, she's really, at this point, at risk of dying. And Tito is a generic term. It means girl. And in this tribe, the uh, families don't name their children until they reach a year of age. But the father here in this case is not bothered with having a naming ceremony because he doesn't expect her to live. So what are the medical problems of orphans and vulnerable children? Well, as you can see through these cases, skin diseases, pneumonia, diarrheal diseases, malnutrition, it's really the same as children worldwide. Uh, the top two causes of death in children under five are pneumonia, respiratory illnesses, and diarrheal diseases. And the same is true for orphans and vulnerable children. However, what I often see is that their medical conditions are often accentuated. As you can see, I mean, just the pictures alone could, could show you how severe the medical illnesses were for these children. Let's take just a moment, a couple of minutes, to discuss among yourselves why. Why are the medical conditions more extreme or more accentuated for orphans and vulnerable children? I'll give you a couple of minutes to think about that. Okay, I hear some great discussion going on, and I really appreciate everybody jumping into this. Um, it's, it demonstrates that you're, you're taking ownership of this. I really, when I come to this conference, I am so encouraged. Um, just a little side note. Um, I spent, uh, I was a medical missionary for 16 years. was on the field for 14, and um, that's where my heart is. I would be there, I would be back in a heartbeat. But God is, and I argue with him just about every day on this, but he said no right now. Uh, on Sunday, I'm flying to Vancouver, Washington uh, to pick up my dad, pack up his household, and bring him back to Indiana and moving him in with me next week. Uh, he needs 24-hour care, and having caregivers 24 hours right now through the day is too expensive for him. I'm free. And... Uh, I'll need people to be there with him when I'm working, but essentially, um, I'm, I'm caring for my father. I'm an only child. His wife has now passed away, and uh, so I'm taking on that responsibility. And I feel very, very confident that for right now in this season of life, that is God's calling for me. And I'm not doubting that. I'm hanging on to that knowledge and that calling to see me through. Because to be honest with you, moving my father in with me just scares the bejeebers out of me. Um, and, and physically, I'm actually too weak to pick him up. So I'm not quite sure how we're going to do this. But I'm trusting, and God has called me to this, and so he's going to see me through. Just as he has with so many other seasons before. But the bottom line is, I can't go right now. So what are you going to do about it? I need a replacement. In fact, I, I need several replacements. Because there are a bunch of places that I would like to work right now. 
So if you have any any inkling that God is calling you to missions, you're right, he is. Uh, and if you have that willingness to go, he's going to use it. He's not going to let you down. He's got a place for you. And I hold on to Jeremiah 29:11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans for hope and a future. And he's called all of us. You know that, that Matthew 28 that we looked at last night, that go, um, it's the great commission. It's not the great suggestion. <laughs> go, it's a command. And, and we all have a place in that. If we're Christians and followers of Jesus Christ, then missions is part of our life. It should be part of our DNA in one form or another. There are those of us who go, and there are those of us who send. There are different seasons of life. I spent a season where I was there going. Now I have a season where I'm sending. And I sure hope that God will let me go again in the future. But, you know, he has plans for me, and therefore good. I'll trust him on that. But I do need replacements, and I can give you all kinds of suggestions on where God can use you if you want to talk to me about it. Okay, that's my commercial. Let's go back to orphans and vulnerable children. So just a couple of comments on this side and a couple of comments on from over here. Why on earth do orphans and vulnerable children suffer more from medical condition than the other children who come into the clinic? Thoughts? Yes. Yeah, exactly. To recap, in case you couldn't hear, she was saying from neglect and that those children may be the lowest priority. Um, Like in Daniel's case, the other children got to go to school, and even though he was a son, he was a a lesser person in the family, and he was expected to work. So a lot of times, yes, the orphans um, will come to medical help later in the disease process um, because they have less access to medical care. Any other comments? Yeah. So in case you couldn't hear over there, um, it's just a snowball effect is what I hear. In terms of one problem leading to another, um, there's poor water sources. um, There's lack of medicines. So it's really a multifactorial problem, and that kind of leads right into the next thoughts. Another case study for us here, this is Isabel, and uh, she uh, was toddling around the household and tripped and fell into a cooking fire and suffered second-degree burns over most of her body. Um, That wouldn't have been too bad, except she didn't get to the clinic until three days later. Her uh, sister, Beatrice, was 14 and is the one who's taking care of her. Beatrice is taking care of uh, Isabel and also her brother, John, who unfortunately spends most of his time sniffing glue with the other boys. Um, Beatrice had to drop out of school uh, when her father was ill because his family did not have school fees. And uh, he died, and then her mother became ill. And so she couldn't return to school because she was caring for her mother. And her mother then died. Now, fortunately, they do have this room, which is where the family lived before. So they have a roof over their heads. But she doesn't work. She doesn't have skills. She doesn't have an education. And so she doesn't have a way to pay the rent. So when the landlord comes by, and he comes by more frequently now, about once a week, to ask for the rent, she basically has to give him sexual favors in exchange for 
making him go away for a period of time, and he'll say, well, I'll come back later for the rent. Yes, yes. Um, so, and as you can imagine, that has led to a lot of other health problems. So the, the medical problems are often associated with economic problems. As we've seen a couple of cases here where um, a lack of financial resources has led to a lack of education, the inability to stay to school, which then snowballs into a lack of employment in the future and just increasing the cycle of poverty. And very often, orphans, um, particularly as they graduate and enter society from whether it's an institution or home setting, their outcome really isn't very good statistically. And a lot of them end up on the streets or begging or in prostitution or criminal activity. What I've seen in numerous societies and in cultures and communities is basically children raising children. And it's very difficult because they don't have role models. They don't have people looking after them, nurturing them. And so it just it cycles into larger and larger problems. Uh, going back to the UNICEF study, in looking at children who are then graduating, uh, who at age 17 or 18 are leaving the orphanage and then going to the community at large, the statistics are not good. Uh, 60% of the women end up in prostitution. 70% of the males end up in prison with criminal activity. And suicide uh, attempts are sky high at 10 to 15%. So we're seeing this is, you know, it's, it's medical, but it's also economic problems, and it's leading to mental health problems. Uh, frequently what I see with orphans is a post-traumatic stress disorder. I think to illustrate that... Um, the best is uh, some stories that come from uh, Central Asia after the Taliban fell. And we went in doing a clinic. My daughter actually went in to do some art therapy. And without a translator, actually it was fine uh, because she just colored with them. And the kids would sit down on the floor and draw pictures. And they'd all start out with flowers. And after several pictures of flowers, then they'd move to teapots. And after a couple flowers and a couple of teapots, then we'd start seeing these pictures. This is a tank or a gravestone with dying flowers or this one being the most poignant. We saw houses covered in red. This is a body covered in red with no arms. It doesn't take a translator to really make it very clear that these children have seen things that no child should ever see. A lot of disaster and a lot of sadness. So there are mental health issues, too. And I think we've kind of come to the conclusion that a lot of this has to do with social problems, the lack of education. Um, one thing, we've talked about that. Another consideration is the stigma. Orphans are very often outcasts. Uh, we've talked about the lower child. As an as orphan is taken into a family, they may be called son or daughter, but they're not quite given the same status as the other children. Um, another factor that I learned was in the, in, uh, I've seen this in East Africa and also in, in uh, the Far East, in the Orient, that orphanages um, don't really have a, a good reputation in terms that culturally, from the national's perspective, the children in the orphanage are those, are children who were thrown away. Children who were thrown away. And, and there's, you know, to, for a child to be thrown away is there's something seriously wrong. And even if they were to come out of the orphanage, they're still considered lesser. 
And even if taken in by a family, they don't necessarily lose that stigma. They're further stigmatized. And so a child who is disadvantaged is also disenfranchised, um, compounding the problem. Um, Yeah, Uh, the the stigma, uh, medical issues, compounding social issues. This is a case where uh, a skin disorder leaves disfigurement, which then basically eliminates any chance for this girl to ever get married. Uh, And in that culture, that's that's a death sentence. Um, In this culture, she must be married to have any value and uh, any sort of economic resources to have children for her future Social Security and um, not getting the medical attention, as we've referred to, as an orphan being disenfranchised and, and disadvantaged, it's uh, just problem upon problem being compounded. In talking and interviewing orphans, um, looking at spiritual issues, frequently comments that I hear are, I feel forgotten. I'm forgotten by God. I must be less than or something is wrong with me. And talking with an orphan, like, so why are you orphaned or what happened? Something's wrong with me. And so instead of believing or understanding that they themselves are the victim, they believe that they are the problem, which is incredibly sad, incredibly sad. So I hope you can see we've, we've talked about a lot of different aspects, but they're all intertwined. The problems are multifactorial. And so the solutions need to be as well. So at this point, I want you to, again, break up into your table groups and consider, okay, what are some solutions? How can we deal with the problems of orphanages, uh, sorry, of orphans and vulnerable children? Uh, Very often, what comes to mind, first off, you know, in dealing with orphans would be an orphanage, uh, a home for orphans. So let's talk, let's talk about that. That's usually the response I get most often when I ask, well, how can we deal with orphans? Um, okay, so I'm going to give you a couple minutes to discuss among yourselves what are some solutions for orphans, how do we deal with their problems, and particularly with orphanages, what are the advantages, what are the disadvantages, and are there any alternatives? Okay, take two minutes. Okay, I hate to break you up. There's a lot of great discussion going on. I'm going to pull you all back together, and we're going to share thoughts with each other at this point. Okay, I'd like a couple of suggestions, a couple of ideas on orphanages. What are the positives? What are the positives of an orphanage? Okay, I heard survival. And to provide education, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I don't want to. I don't want to um, slam orphanages. In in certain uh, scenarios, in certain areas of the world, and places, and you know circumstances, they are absolutely needed. Um, this child is in an orphanage where she she was in a dumpster, and at this point, she has a roof over her head, and she has food. And she's going to be educated, and she's actually in a program to get adopted out. So there are definitely good things happening for these children here. What are some disadvantages? Well, most of the orphanages I know about are governmental, at least in Africa. 
and it's the minimum. They get a place to stay. They don't have the food they need. They don't have the water mm-hmm. they need. So training the people that take care of it is one of the greatest needs that, that I've seen. Okay. He said that um, in a situation where he has been in Africa, I believe most of the orphanages are government-run, and they tend to be minimalist. Uh, just the bare minimum is provided in terms of food and medical help and so forth. So there's still a lack, even though the child may survive, not all the needs are being met. Yes? So lack of attention, um, basically, they're trying to help as many kids as possible and end up with a worker-to-child ratio that is, you know, so high that the workers are overworked, yeah, and the kids uh, end up being somewhat neglected. So, yeah, there there are definitely disadvantages. Um, It may be a place where all needs are met, at least on a minimal level, but um, some of the drawbacks, and you've said in terms of still a lack of care, um, also consider they require outside funding. By, by the very nature, the people within the orphanage, the orphans, can't be self-sustaining. And so somewhere, the funds to, to provide this have to come, um, and, and it's an ongoing need. Um, it's also a closed community um, in terms of I've seen places where there's not a lot of outside interaction, um, so the, the social development can sometimes be stymied. And uh, then the stigma we've, we've uh, mentioned before. Not in every culture. There are some places where orphans graduate and go into the mainstream society and do very, very well. Um, but that's something that it has to be planned and realize that it can be problematic. All right. Um, in terms of when I have gone to interview uh, caretakers, Uh, church leaders, community leaders, or the parents left behind. And um, at one point, I was helping a group who wanted to help orphans. And so I was kind of, you know, they were asking me, like, well, what will be the most help? You know, should we build an orphanage? And I was kind of like, not not in this community. Um, So we went, we had had limited resources, which, you know, hello, we all do in any situation. We're not going to be able to do everything we want to do any place. And so uh, we went to this community, talked to the church leaders, um, clinic uh, leaders who were the community leaders, and single parents, um, the caregivers, and we asked them, what do you need? Uh, You know, you tell us, what do you need to care for the orphans in this community? And over and over and over again, what I've heard in different places is, I want to keep my children in school. Can you help me with the school fees? Can you provide uniforms, books? I want my children educated. Over and over again, I was very, very astounded. They weren't asking necessarily for the food or the housing. They can manage that. But keeping the child in school was the real stumbling block. And then take that further to what was the goal. They understood that. For the child to stay educated and stay in school meant hope, hope for skills, hope for an education, hope for future employment, hope to get out of the slum or the poverty that they were in. 
schools very often uh, in the communities where I've worked offer hope because they provide a lot of the essential things. Very often schools, to go to school you have to have a uniform, so there's clothes. Very often schools will provide food. They provide at least lunch and a couple of tea times usually. So there's, there's nutrition there. A lot of schools will provide health screenings. And some schools even have clinics uh, where the children and sometimes their family members can get help. And, of course, there's the, there's the education and hope. A lot of times uh, in dealing with orphans and vulnerable children, I've seen where those of us coming from the outside will want to give handouts. Let's see the immediate need. Well, with Sarai and her family, it was winter and the cold. Giving blankets was the immediate need. But even as we were handing out these blankets, people were saying to us, thank you for the blanket, but next time would you bring jobs? They didn't necessarily want the handouts forever. They wanted help to get their life back up, wanted to get themselves up on two feet and working. So what are the biggest helps? As you were talking amongst your group, in terms of your experience maybe or just from what we've discussed today, Let's get a few suggestions out there. What are some of the biggest helps? What are some of the solutions that have been most successful for orphans? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yeah, very good. She basically said to instill self-worth. So, and as you were speaking, um, you know, I kind of come back to Jesus is the answer. It's kind of a simplistic view, but um, teaching the children themselves their value as a child of God and their ability to impact their own world. Uh, So instilling self-worth, that's excellent. Anything else? Yes. Okay, yes, sustainability, and uh, I'll hit upon that uh, as well. Oh, I need to finish up quickly here. Okay, Um, sorry, let's move on. Um, The three points I wanted to make would be education and empowering caregivers and community development. Uh, We've kind of hit upon education as a key. Uh, This is a story of Paul, a vulnerable child and his mother, very similar to the other stories. Uh, but he was able to be brought into a school. In, this is in Nairobi uh, with Missions of Hope. And they now they started out with one school. They now have nine. They have over 3,000 children, 
orphans and vulnerable children that they're helping uh, to stay in school. And uh, so the children are fed and clothed and educated. Uh, but there's also, with part of that, a microfinance program and uh, a CHE program for teaching the caregivers, whoever they happen to be. And uh, there's a microloan process. This mom was able to get $8 as her first loan to um, start a business of making chapatis and selling them. She was able to get enough money to repay her loan and get another one where she opened up a shop. And at this point, she has enough income that she's keeping Paul in school and taking care of herself. And uh, definitely schooling provides basic needs and education, hope for the future. Uh, yeah, and this is to remind me, self-worth. Teaching the, the schools where I've seen um, the Bible and Christian teaching as part of the curriculum are some of the most successful. So caring for the children and caring for the caregivers, um, and not just handouts, but empowering them, uh, particularly to gain skills for income generation. And that's how they can take care of themselves and the children. Um, several of the places where I've seen these programs, healthcare, particularly with AIDS orphans, getting the parents on treatment, getting them healthy to where they can re-enter the workforce is tremendous uh, for their health, the health of the child, and, um, and the community. This is Esther. Uh, she was HIV positive and basically dying. She got into the program, got started on ARVs, and she's doing very well. When we first met her, she had 15 people, 15 children in this one room. She was taking care of her own children, those of her sister, those of her brother-in-law, and the next-door neighbor, all who had died, and she was caring for all of these. And, and it's amazing that now that she's well and that she's working and these children are in the program, they're all doing well. Uh, this is Emily. Uh, again, a story where she was able to get her child into the school and then take training for uh, a business and start her own business. Some examples in terms of a tailoring project, uh, teaching, hairdressing skills, so these ladies can then open up their own business. There's um, not just handouts of money to start a business, but it's a whole program of teaching and training how to make a business plan, how to save. Um, proving that you can save before you get the loan. Um, multifactorial program here of empowering the parents and the caregivers that are remaining to take care of themselves, to start businesses. Uh, as these people have started their shops, it's not exactly Kroger butchery, but it, it's a successful business, and he's keeping his kids alive and in school. Pottery and herds. Um, goat restocking was a program in one of the places where I worked uh, to start um, new herds and get people up on their feet. All right, so very quickly wrapping up, I want to be cognizant of the time. Um, the plight of orphans is definitely disastrous. It's heart-wrenching, but there is hope, and there are programs that are successful, and I think those who both empower the children and the caregivers in the name of Christ, are where I've seen the greatest success. And all of these, um, church planting as well, is a part of this program. Uh, they can't do it alone without Christ and the Word of God. So, uh, I will wrap that up. I'm here. Um, 
the time. I believe this session is supposed to stop at 10.10, but if you have questions, come forward. We can talk a bit here, and those who need to go, feel free to go. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time.